Welcome to the Amazon Legends Podcast, where we have real stories about making it big on Amazon. Our guests are CEOs of large companies and entrepreneurs who became powerful sellers, also experts specializing in helping sellers, and both former and current Amazon employees who will give us an insight from behind the scenes. Here's your host, Nick Urison. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Amazon Legends. My guest today is a passionate person about working with kids, especially as a foster parent to many. And she's a former teacher turned an entrepreneur, and she's the co-founder and chief operating officer of Cosmo Technologies, which is behind first certified 4G kids smartwatch. So Everybody, meet my guest, Michelle Ross. Welcome to the show, Michelle. Thanks for having me, Nick. So um, you are like a magnet. When we had our conversation, I picked that up. And you are like a magnet, and you, you attract something. So tell me what that is. <laughs> oh, that's a, that's a good question. Well, I think you got it in your intro. I have spent a lot of my my time around uh, kids, and I uh, have made the made the 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 conversion of my journey over to technology and so I would say that a lot of my energy is just like the fun of kids and then the excitement that comes with um introducing kids to to, to new technology so that yeah that's a lot of a lot of where my energy for this comes from well yeah I mean I, I believe that energy so but tell me how does that translate to Amazon and when you're attracting kids kids can't spend any money right so they don't have credit cards so <laughs> So you're not really attracting kids. You, you are attracting their parents, right? Well, first of all, Nick, I would tell you every once in a while, we do have a kid that hacks their uh, parents' Amazon account. <laughs> <laughs> we, we do get some of those, my kid bought this. I don't know if I want it. Um, but no, you're absolutely right. Yeah, I, I would say that we are a company that is looking to attract parents. So our, our customer absolutely is parents. Um, and, and that is what we are, are trying to do. And I would say that Amazon has become an amazing place for us to find our customers. So tell me about that. How, how because this is a different demographic, because usually people go about the keywords, they go about, you know, age gender and all that stuff. So uh, tell me about what it is that you developed in your approach to attract parents. Yeah. So I, I would say first and foremost, Cosmo is a brand. We, we definitely are a branded company and we started out that way. We were launching D2C. We had a website. We were doing kind of the traditional, the traditional um, strategy for launching a new company just in general. Um, and then we looked at Amazon and realized that Amazon did not have a certified kid smartwatch. There were kids smartwatches, um, but this is a really interesting product because um, there are tons of people that are reselling this product with no thought about what it, it is like what parents are looking for. Um, and, and I think the thing that we keyed in on is that parents are looking for data security, they're looking for privacy, and they're looking for a product and a brand that they can trust with their children. And um, Amazon didn't have a seller that was thinking about this particular category like that. And so we have used Amazon as an amazing place to find customers. Like we know that 50% that of parents do their shopping for their kids on Amazon. And so we have gone to where parents are looking, but then we have all of those surrounding things that parents are looking for when they want to make sure like, is this a reputable brand? Are they going to have customer service? Are they going to help me? Um, we, we use Amazon as the launching place, but then we have everything 
surrounding us to assure parents that, that we're a brand. So how do you do that? What is the differentiator in terms of, let's say I go to Amazon and, and I search, obviously several search results come up. Yeah. So looking at those first set of search results, what are you doing to differentiate yourself so that people first click on it? Yeah. You know, I, I would say that we have spent a lot of time thinking about the content um, that goes into our listing. We've, you know, bulleted it out to make it really clear because I, I think that this is also an opportunity for us to educate our customers that this is a fairly new segment. Um, I mean, you know, uh, 4G devices have, have been around for like 20 years that everybody's had cell phones and the thought of like giving your kid a device like ours is, is a pretty new thought. And so we have been really intentional about thinking about the content that needs to exist in our listing um, that gives parents that assurance that I understand how the product works. I understand what the experience is going to be like when I buy it. Um, I understand what my kid is going to have when they open it. And then I'm really reassured that like our customer service number is, we include that in one of the graphics um, that we've put on our listing. And, and then I, I would say that this has been a real game changer for us. We've invested a lot in video content, um, making sure that we have a place where parents can click on a video and then kind of see the interaction of a child and a parent engaging with our product um, in a way that assures them that this isn't just like a product that we're selling and once you buy it, you know, nothing's going to happen with it. There actually is a company that's standing behind this product. Yeah. So what I want to do is I want to dissect because your approach is fairly specific in terms yeah. of who you want to get to. And as yet, it, it plays out in, in two phases. So first of all, it's the search. So search results, when somebody searches, they're getting those, you know, sponsored listings as well as all the organic listings on the first page so obviously everybody wants to be on the first page yeah. people do go on to page two page three maybe but really everybody is looking to be on that first page so when you are on that first page or in order to be on the first page your content is key yeah your, you know your everything that you've done however once let's assume that you've achieved that and you are somewhere in a, in a favorable spot on that first page, but for somebody to click yours, they are not reading your content. Yep. They are not doing anything. So tell us how you are able to get people to click on it, or as we say, the click through rate. Yeah. How do you make sure that your click through rate is high? Yeah, we've invested a lot on this and, and we're a newer company on Amazon. We've, we've been around for about 15 months. So, so I, I would say that our, our strategy has evolved a lot in that, that period of time. When we first started, we obviously just like launched our product and we hoped parents would find us. And I think that we were a little bit lucky in that sense that we were in a newer category. Obviously they're, you know, like depending on what your product is, like you might be joining a category that already has hundreds or even thousands of listings. Um, and that was not our story. Our, our story was like when we started launching in this category, it, it was, it was pretty new. Um, um, but we've spent a lot of time thinking about what what our keywords should be. You're, you're exactly right. Um, and I mean, the obvious one for for our particular category is, you know, kids smartwatch. But we actually realized that there were a lot of terms like because it, it, it is a new product. Parents didn't even know exactly what they were looking for when they came on Amazon. And I don't think that's actually uncommon. Right. Like people go on Amazon. They're like, this is the problem I'm trying to solve. I'm looking for some something that would fix that problem. Um, and. And so that worked really well for us is just 
understanding what people were searching for, even if it wasn't like the most obvious keyword, and then making sure that we maximized that so that as soon as parents went searching, they would find us. Okay. So it's basically getting the right keywords associated with your listing so yep. that you show up. Um, are you actually currently tracking your click-through rate? Yeah, we, we, I mean, we definitely do. We definitely do track that. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the part that we'll first get. So the visitor onto your listing page. So yep. now they are on the listing page. Yeah. In order for them. So at that point, now you're doing your selling, right? So you're, you're, you, you all your information, yeah. they are able to read, you know, you mentioned videos, they are watching the videos. So they're educating themselves about your product and establishing credibility. So well, at that point, what do you find as the most valuable piece of content that gets the, the, the customer to buy it? You know, for us, it, it definitely has been video. And I would say like video, it, the, the part of video that is really compelling for parents is just like understanding how it works. So a tiny little like five second demo of kid, parent, here's what the interaction looks like. I mean, that's obviously very specific to our product, but giving parents kind of that or giving our customers really that visual of like, when I buy it, here's what I would expect. Um, and none of our, our competitors are actually doing that right now. I, I think that that is really what is missing is, is giving parents a, a visual understanding of the product that they're purchasing. I, I think electronics and technology too are particularly difficult because, um, you know, everyone's like, like used to going into a store, I play with it, I touch it, I, I somebody demos it for me and shows me how it works. Um, and what is obviously challenging for everybody about Amazon is nobody gets to do that, right? You, you have to try to create that experience in a remote way and, and hope that it lives up to people's expectations when they actually do have that opportunity to, to tangibly hold your product. So I think that's what we've tried to, to recreate is just giving people an understanding of here's how it works. Here's what it might look like on your child. Here's how um, an interaction between the two of you might go. And, and I think that that is, that is really reassuring to our customers that we've thought through that. Yeah, uh, the videos are definitely it. The, yeah. they, they will bring it more, you know, realistic, so to speak, rather than pictures. And also when I work with my clients, uh, one of the things that I recommend is videos about use cases. So they, they, they because the people identify with it, yeah. And that way, you know, they can see it, they can see it in action, they uh, relevant to how they intend to use it. So uh, video is definitely key, especially in your case. To add to that, I think that's a really good point, because um, I think in, in our case, people are looking for videos and you can only do so much on Amazon, right? Like in some ways, Amazon can be a little bit limiting because you only have a certain number of pictures and then you get to show one video and, and obviously you can change out that video. But um I, I, when we track our customers' behavior, they are searching for this product, they find us on Amazon, and then they often go and search for, do additional research on Google. So they're actually leaving Amazon to say, okay, what else can, what, are, what reviews exist? Who's written about this product? Can I find more videos? And then we have tons of video content out there doing exactly what you're describing. Just parents like giving little testimonials. We have kids talking about their experience. I think that video content um, as, a, as a creative way to tell your story, both on and off Amazon, really does change the Amazon buying experience. Well, I mean, uh, you, you mentioned Google. As you know, 
there is an agreement between Google and Amazon. So Amazon serves up the product search results for Google. So there is definitely a big advantage. And, but of course, that only happens if you have a registered brand with Amazon. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's, and of, of course, you also get to have video content, your A plus pages showcasing yourself only if you are a registered brand. So for those who are new or looking to start or uh, they, they have their brand, but they haven't really gotten on Amazon brand registry. So that's that's key, right, in yeah. your experience? Oh, for sure. And, and I mean, I even think about our journey. We, we didn't have that when we launched, you know, we, we definitely were one of those sellers that was like, wow, Amazon would be an amazing place. Our, our product is underrepresented. Um, and I, I would say it even took us three to four months to start to understand some of that, but getting brand registry was a game changer. All of a sudden being able to add a plus content and, um, you know, maximizing keywords, like everything that comes with, with being brand registered. Uh, obviously, it's, it is a bit of a process to go through that. But we, like, I, yeah, I, I wish that we would have done that sooner and known that when we launched. Yeah. So uh, what is your take on the Amazon analytics that they provide to track your listing performance, how your listing is performing in terms of its conversion rates, its uh, click throughs and things like that? Do you use that on regular basis and how do you do it yeah we definitely do um we we, we have help in this department so I, I obviously oversee all of our operations and then um we have a, a director of marketing and then we have brought in external help to to help us not only kind of navigate that um but then figure out how we how we utilize and maximize it um, at the very beginning, we were we were doing some of this ourselves, and then we just realized that there are experts out there that can can help you do better. So I would say yes, absolutely, we use it, and and that is an area where we have we've brought in resources. Okay, so this is actually a good segue to one of my favorite questions. So tell me about what it takes to be successful as a team. What are the roles, responsibilities you have, and and also what do you outsource? What do you do in house? And what, what are the best, you know, recommendations that you yeah. can provide? No, you're right. Um, it, it does take a team. It also takes, I would say, a good sense of adventure and humor to, uh, <laughs> to be an Amazon seller. You, just, you really have to be up for, up for the adventure of it. And it's been a ton of fun for us. Um, but when we first, we first started, it was, it was um, my co-founder who kind of just listed us on Amazon. Um, and we had such a fun overnight success story where we, listed on Amazon and the inventory that we had at on hand sold out in like 10 days, which was right before Christmas. And um, then we had that story as a, a first time, you know, company launching on Amazon where we had no fulfillment and it was us just packing boxes and hiring siblings and cousins and, and kind of a crazy, very stressful season. Um, and then of course, cause we had no idea about analytics or like how to man manage our performance. As soon as the Christmas season was over, our, uh, our account got, got banned on Amazon and, we took a, a, a pause moment and said, okay, this is going to really require some strategy. I, I think that just trying to launch this thing and hope it goes well is, is not going to be successful for us. Um, and so it was at that moment that we, we brought in a, a fulfillment team to help us um, understand like the, the right balance between FBA and FBM. And, and so we do have experts that are helping us on the back end of, with the fulfillment side. Um, and then we ended up hiring um, some consultants 
Um, they're called Hometown Industries. They've been really great to us that are that have, that helped us, first of all, get our account back in, in good standing and then keep it that way, understanding everything that was going into just managing a brand on Amazon. Um, and then, like I said, we have our director of marketing who, who regularly meets with um, this company, Hometown, that, that helps us just figuring out ads and videos and content and graphics and um yeah, just like content as a general thing. And then it's me on the back end, just managing kind of the overall process of how do we make sure that we stay in stock and how do we make sure that our account is is in good standing? And if something starts to slide, what do we do about that? And um, one, one of the, the things that we've run into in the last couple of months is, this was new for me on Amazon, I'm sure others have run into this, but just the issue of Amazon compliance. When we first, the first like eight months that we were on Amazon, we didn't encounter it at all. And then all of a sudden Amazon hit us with all the compliance documentation required. And um, you know that, that was like a, a new level of, of understanding where we had to bring in someone to help us understand how, what, what is Amazon compliance? How do you go get it? And, and how do you make sure that you stay ahead of it the next time? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that is constant is change with yeah. Amazon. So they they have new requirements there because they're under scrutiny. You know, the government is watching them. People are complaining, and now they have this this union trouble. So there's always pressure on Amazon, and of course, it's all based on products, sales, and how it's done. So they will always bring new requirements and make it much, much more regulated. And uh, so when you mentioned you got banned, is it your seller account or your listing? It was our listing that got banned. Our seller account has not been banned. Yeah, luckily, I, I hope that doesn't happen. And what was the reason? That's a good question. I I'm trying to go back because we've had other listings banned. But the first, I, I think the first time it just was like a, a certain number of product complaints um, that we ended oh. up addressing in, in later product updates very quickly. I mean, we took that feedback to heart and, and immediately addressed it. But I, I think actually like the bigger issue for us is we had a product complaint and then we didn't know where to find it. So we didn't answer it. And so then Amazon took the listing down. Okay. Yeah. I've seen that happen because these product complaints, they are extremely careful with it because they want to make sure that the, the customers who are buying the item they're satisfied with it and if they are not they don't want to they don't want the same item circulating yep. and going too many so uh, but your seller account was fine our seller account was fine yeah that that's a much bigger problem so <laughs> i heard uh, yeah i was listening to a couple a couple of your earlier episodes and i was like man i hope this never happens to us well you know it, it does happen so you know you mentioned that it's an adventure. It's it's exciting running an Amazon account, but really it takes stamina, a lot yeah. of stamina, emotional stamina, because they will test you. The other thing is, if you're doing well, and then suddenly something happens, they won't even blink, and they'll just suspend the account. Then the next thing is the cash flow dries up, and you've got all the. So it's a it's not a fun thing. So. Um, so let's uh, go over this team thing, because this is very important, because a lot of people think that, I mean, they, you've done basically everything that you shouldn't have done when you started, right? Yeah. So oh, we, we can wing it ourselves, we can fulfill. Uh, so there is usually what I hear from all my clients and my guests is somebody takes ownership of fulfillment. Mm -hmm. And by fulfillment, it's not the individual order fulfillment, 
which is not recommended. It's best to let Amazon yeah. do the fulfillment anyway. But your FBA shipments, and because it takes a lot of effort to make sure that you have continuity in sales. So sometimes your FBA shipments are not really, they, talk, they take longer to be received. So, um, so somebody is in charge of fulfillment. Somebody is in charge of uh, demand planning so that you have inventory at all times. Yep. So it sounds like you are the one doing that. That's the most important job, by the way. It's hard. Yeah, that's it's 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 hard, especially I, I am really excited for this next year because we'll at least be in year two in your first year. It's so hard to um, first of all, learn Amazon and then you're right. Uh, figure out how to forecast a demand that you you haven't ever experienced before. Like Amazon opens up just this whole new gateway of of opportunity and and figuring out how you forecast that. You're right. It, it's a learning curve. Yeah. So uh, it if you run out of inventory, your advertising doesn't take a hit in the sense that you know it simply stops. So you don't waste money with your advertising. It just simply stops. However, because you your order flow is disrupted, now your ranking starts to take a hit. So my experience with pretty much everybody I talk to is it takes about two months for you to get back to where you were if you run out of inventory yeah. and stop your order. So that's why this is the biggest job. So how do you go about, tell us a little bit about what are the things that you're looking at when you are doing demand planning? Well, I think there's a, there's a two-part answer to this question, because I think the first part is like, how do you do your absolute best at forecasting? And let me, I'll talk about that in a second. And then the second is what do you do when you haven't planned well? And, and, and how do you manage your account so that exactly what you're talking about doesn't happen? Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously I think the bigger you get, the, the less that happens, but when you're, you know, still kind of a, a smaller operation like us, we we've had both of those. So I, I would say on the first one, like, how do you thoughtfully plan? Um, last year was really interesting because everybody dealt with supply chain disruptions um, due to, to COVID. And in our case, or any company, honestly, that was in the electronic space, there was a huge shortage of chipsets. And so I, the first thing that we did that was pretty strategic last year is we just thought about the component that was going to be in short supply. And we ended up stocking up on that um, to, to last as a period of time that that was not how we would have thought about it otherwise. Um, so, so I think that there was an element of like responding to the environment um, that wasn't like, oh, and in this month, we're going to sell this, this exact number of units. But from that larger purchase of how do we just make sure that we have all the components on hand, um, there is a seasonal aspect to most businesses, and, and ours is no exception. Um, we just went through Easter, and, and we were reminded, we'd forgotten this from last year, but Easter, like our, our, our uh, product is a good gift for, for the Easter bunny. Um, and so we, we have a little bump there. And then our two big bumps are back to school when, when kids are transitioning grades, and then obviously Christmas and, and just like holiday purchasing can be a really big one for us. But I think that understanding what your spikes are, and then taking that and backing into the other months of understanding, okay, like what is non-spike months? What, what is our, our month over de- month demand? And, and how does that grow over the course of the year? Um, and, and making a, a plan with a lot of buffer um, has been how we've thought about that. And then, then the second part of that question is like, what do you do when you've made a plan and your plan wasn't right? Cause we ran into that situation. Um, and I think we got really strategic about thinking about 
um, reducing some of our ad spend, actually, like we intentionally slowed sales down just a little bit. Like, you, of course, you can't go down to zero because that, that'll hurt your account too. But thinking about how you maximize your ad spend and, and cut where it isn't necessarily helpful because the velocity is more than you can maintain on an operation side. Um, and then we've played with price. I, that has been a big part of our strategy is just saying like, okay, you know, we, we can slow down purchase by raising price a little bit. We're still getting units out the door. We're still keeping our account in good standing. Um, and we're actually still like, if you do this exactly right, you can still make the same amount of revenue um, and, yes. and, and make the inventory that you have on hand last until that next shipment is coming in. Absolutely. So uh, do you do your advertising uh, on Amazon only, or do you also do external advertising? We do external advertising as well. Okay. So I have an interesting uh, guest I had earlier, and they, they are basically an online marketplace for Amazon buyers and sellers. I'm talking about selling your Amazon business mm. and or uh, companies acquiring. And he told me something that I didn't know. And this is very interesting. So he gave me the formula for value, valuation. So how do you value an Amazon business? So he pulled up, because they, they do this all day long, every day. So they have all the numbers. So he pulled up the numbers. He said, I'm going to give you real time what the average multiplier is. And he said 43.1 times monthly net profit uh, yeah, monthly net profit okay so that's what it is so i said okay fine how do you maximize that multiplier what are the factors and you know what the number one factor is please tell me <laughs> traffic diversity ah so for you since you are an amazon seller and anybody else listening Make sure that you have a healthy mix of traffic to your listings. Doing 100% Amazon sponsored ads, mm. not good. Doing 100% Facebook, not good. It has yeah. to be a healthy mix of advertising. And uh, the more external, the better. The second biggest, uh, not driver, but value add that you have that makes the business very attractive. And of course, that's reflected in the valuation is your own mailing list. So your own mailing list of customers, I mean, this is a no brainer, but of course for FBA sellers, it's hard to build a mailing yeah. list of your own. Yeah. So, uh, so, but you have to make the effort and build it. So he said between those two, I mean, there are many other factors, but he said, this is basically how it works. And if you can do this, then the business is considered very attractive. So now I had another expert, interestingly, uh, they are a full service Amazon agency. And what he told me was Amazon algorithms favor you to drive you organic traffic if you are running external ads, driving visitors directly to your listing. Because if, you know, with sponsored ads, the whole idea is somebody comes, does a search, and then you come up and then your listing is associated with that search term and you start to rank up, right? Yeah. But when you bring somebody to your listing directly, there is no keyword, there is no search. So I said, well, how do they know? So I said, I have no idea, but this is our experience. We recently started using external advertising and they use that Amazon attribution, which Amazon gives you 15% back. So 
He said, that is something we're finding that if you run external ads, you not only get that reimbursement from Amazon, but you also get favored in organic listing. So it's, it's interesting. And of course, when I was talking to the broker, he said, well, I didn't know that, but that means you know, it really benefits you to run external ads because it gives you traffic diversity as well as you know, organic ranking. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes so much sense. And, and honestly, I, I love hearing that because that, that has been a part of our strategy in the last couple of months, I, I think, as we've diversified um, off of Amazon and, and even understanding, right, like how you can run Facebook ads that actually land on your Amazon listing page or vice versa, right? Like, I, I think that there is some, some amount of transfer, too, that's happening. Um, but I also think, too, for companies that are thinking about brand, there is a there is a real reassurance that comes when they find you on Amazon, they find you on Google, they see you on Facebook, right? There There is a, an element of just customer confidence that you're building um, that is outside of, of even just thinking about advertising strategy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, you know how it is. People are bombarded with all kinds of promotional stuff. Yeah. So they, they need to see it a few times in different places. So that makes a big difference. The other, one of the other drivers he also said was your overall, um, how your listings are converting, your conversion rate per listing is something. Uh, and what he was talking about was just as you have traffic diversity across multiple channels, how your conversion performs across each channel, you know, each channel that you are advertising through. So those are things that, uh, and of course that data is not available on Amazon. You have to really manually process it, download yeah. it and all that stuff, but you know, that's the job. So, uh, sure. so tell me, tell me a little bit about, you also had a, a, an interesting experience with your fulfillment, right? So tell me about your experience with FBA, FBM and why, why not? Yeah, well, I mean, the first thing I, I said this, but I'll say this again, the first thing I cannot cannot discourage people from enough is trying to fulfill yourself. <laughs> that is such a mess. And actually, you know what, going back to your original question, that was part of that was part of the reason that our account, we are like, uh, our fulfillment percentage got too low. And Amazon dinged us for that as part of kind of their larger January complaint that they made against us when we were trying to do the exact strategy you said people shouldn't do, which is just launch on Amazon and hope for the best. Um, but I would say coming out of that, we then were looking for a partner that could help us do a combination of both FBA and FBM. And I agree with you, Nick, that FBA, if you can do that, is the preferred way to go. Um, but part of, of our strategy as we've grown our companies, obviously you have um, inventory limits on, on what you can send in, especially at peak times. And in our case, as, as, over the last year, that's been a really limiting factor. Like the demand is higher than our inventory limit. And so while we do our absolute best to stay on, in stock on FBA, in those moments that we run out, we have the ability to toggle over to FBM um, and, and use that as, as kind of our backup or our plan B. So what I'm hearing is for your item, you have two listings. One is FBA, one is FBM. Yep. And then if you run out of your FBA inventory, you have the FBM listing go up. So that way you can fulfill it yourself. Yeah. You do have to be really careful. And this is what we have learned in fulfillment is 
Um, you, you do have to understand Amazon's requirements, right? Like there, there are a whole list of, of, of requirements and, and expectations that customers have. Like customers know whether they're purchasing FBA or FBM if they're really paying attention. But I think a lot of times customers aren't even paying that much attention, right? They add it to the cart, they check out and they go through the flow. And so the expectation is that you can do fulfillment as good or even better than Amazon, um, which is a really high bar. And so understand, <laughs> almost impossible, right? Like Amazon has its own yeah. trucks and they really are doing their own thing. Whereas, you know, you, you risk running working with, with USPS or, or, or something like that in, in a tough time. Um, but that that is is what the, the approach that we've taken and, and we have partnered with um, someone on the fulfillment side that can help us get things out the door quickly and accurately and ensure that our account stays in good standing as it relates to FBM fulfillment. Yeah, I mean, when I work with my clients, first of all, if they are just starting and they've never run an online business, and they've never done online fulfillment or anything like that. Uh, I say, start with Amazon. Don't push your website. Start with Amazon and use Amazon fulfillment because your best case scenario is you get many, many, many orders. How are you going to deal with many, many orders? I'm not talking about just pick, pack, ship. I'm talking about customer service, refunds, returns, and all. It's a nightmare. This is your best case scenario when you're receiving many orders. You yeah. have no, you end up with no life, and uh, constantly you, you are dealing with stuff. So let Amazon do the fulfillment. You will never beat their cost. You will never beat their service level, and you don't have to worry about returns and refunds. So FBM is really, I would not even go there as a new seller. And yeah. then an ongoing basis. However, when you go to FBA route, now you've got inventory you're carrying in, really, you have to track three different statuses, right? You have how much inventory I have at Amazon, how much inventory I have in the home base, and how much inventory is in the pipeline for POs coming in. Yeah. Then you all, then once you know that you can then plan for more production, which has to be ongoing because, you know, if you are doing well and then it's sales are increasing, you need to be constantly producing. So, so how do you manage that? How do you track this information? Is it something you do manually, real time? What systems do you use? Give us some take. Yeah. It's a complicated process. Yeah, well, and, and Nick, I'll I'll I'll, uh, I'll say this. I'll, I'll share our answer, and then I honestly would love from love to hear from you on, on recommendations of where your clients are doing really well. Because I I think that we are doing it manually. We are using Excel, and and it's not. Um, I mean, well, that's not entirely true. All of our our Amazon orders are going through Shopify, so we really do use Shopify as kind of our source of truth um, to understand inventory. I, I know that there are fancy systems out there that people use to to maintain multiple channels. Um, but I, we, we are still doing this in-house and, and, and we're keeping track of it manually. Okay. All right. Well, so I'll, I'll uh, I mean, I, my background is systems. So this is my, my uh, natural uh, territory, so to speak, but you can't do manually. I would not recommend anybody to do manually because the, here is the, the, the main, main reason as a business person. So let's say that everything you're doing is right. When I say everything, I'm referring to your revenue model. And let's yeah. say that you are accumulating a healthy amount of margin on per sale. Let's call that 
25%. It's very high. Nobody gets net, net, net 25%. But let's say you're getting 25%. And then let's say you're doing a million dollars a month. Okay? So very simple example. That means sure. you are pocketing $250,000 every month. That's yep. what it means. So now, in order to generate a million dollars in sales, you're going to carry inventory. You're going to carry inventory at Amazon. You're going to carry inventory in your warehouse so that you can replenish. And you're going to have POs. Now, at any point in time, how much inventory in terms of dollar value can you afford to, do you have to carry? Let's call it, make it real lean operation, which is never the case, but make it real <laughs> lean. And let's call that half a million, okay? So what that means is in order to have sustained level of orders, at any point in time, you've got to have half a million dollars invested in inventory sitting yep. around. Yep. You know what? These numbers are extremely healthy. You never achieve these numbers. But even at these numbers, what we are saying is you have to work two months to earn the amount of money that will finance the inventory. This is before anything else. Yeah. So now, if you don't know the value of your inventory, you carry real time at all times, how are you going to manage this business? Right? You can't. So, and it's a very dangerous game to play because what happens is when sales are going up, you're running promotions, running advertising, you're offering discounts, you know, because you want to capitalize yeah. on it. And then suddenly, that brings your top line down. And as your top line goes down, then your margins shrink. And then, so in order to make sure your orders are coming in, you increase the inventory. And at some point you start to bleed cash. And the next thing is you're thinking, wait a minute, you know, we're receiving orders all day, every day, sales are going up, but we never have any money. And that will kill you. So that's the reason why yeah. manually, I don't, it's, you, you end up with no life. You end up miserable. Yeah. It's, uh, so it's always go. So there are systems out there, but it takes consideration. It takes proper knowledge and planning. And, uh, and you know, the other thing that, that I always say is you can't say, okay, let's do real time tonight. You can't. Yeah because the events have to align because you have to put in your opening balances and you have to put in how many pieces I have here, how many pieces yeah. I have there. And you never know how many pieces you have at Amazon real time. For sure. So it's a, it's an effort that everything has to align with your financial periods, yeah. your tax returns. So it's a project. I would say to everybody, make this priority. Otherwise, you're not going to know your numbers. And without knowing your numbers, you can get killed. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, Nick, I might, I might be a little bit of the cautionary tale there too, because I, I would say that inventory reports are something that I run, honestly, like probably twice a week, M understanding where our levels at Amazon are, understanding what's at our warehouse, and then, and then forecasting time until our next shipment comes in from overseas is um, a place I spend a lot of time because the importance of it is, is exactly what you're saying. Um, that you, you definitely can't, that's not one of those things you can just trust to fate and hope it, it, it works out. Um, you will run out of inventory. Yeah. Yeah. So um, tell us a little bit about uh, your high level. What are your, uh, what do you see as the biggest opportunities for selling on Amazon? And then why, why do this? And also what are the challenges that come with it? 
Yeah. Um, so I, I would say for us, the, the biggest opportunity on Amazon is that um, we are, we're in such an exciting place that our category is growing. And I would also say that our market market capture of that category is growing. And so evaluating, you know, I, this is honestly back to your forecasting question, like how do we look at the next two years? I think we're trying to evaluate in a growing category where we're, we're widening our footprint. How do we make sure that we upscale all of our operations to, to stay on top of what could be our potential? Um, so, you know, I, the first part of that is obviously just understanding where you sit in the market. Like that's not going to be every single every single seller on Amazon. Like some of those some some markets are pretty saturated. Um, but when you know that, and and then converting that to strategy, I, I would say is is where where we're being really thoughtful. Um, and then I, I would say is it relates to to selling on Amazon like challenges is that we're thinking through are, um, I said this at the very top of our conversation, we we're selling in a product where people have really high expectations. Like they, it, it's a kid's product. It, it, we market it for kids safety. Um, and it, it does all of those things, but making sure that we keep working on, on in evolving our product in a way that's meeting up to customer expectations so that we can stay on top of the market. Um, I, I think that the minute that you're like, oh, we've cracked the code and, and we're just going to scale this oh. thing and it's perfect, is you've gotten lazy, right? And, and, and that is honestly a really risky place to be sitting. So when I think about challenges for, for the upcoming year for us, it's, it's exactly that. Like we're, we're in, a, in a strong place on Amazon, but we have to make sure that we're thinking about what customers are going to need in the next three, six, nine, 12 months and, and make yeah. our product meet those expectations. Yeah. By the way, uh, in my conversation, another driver that uh, the, the gentleman said about valuation is product diversity. Mm. He said uh, it, the, the best number is for private label sellers is between three to 10. Yeah. So having, you know, try to have. So uh, and what I usually tell my clients is when you launch the company on Amazon first time, Take six months with one parent skew. Yep. And and make sure that you build your infrastructure, optimize your campaigns, get your numbers, your analytics performing in a consistent way. Then launch the second parent. And then after that, try to stay on track by launching one parent every quarter mm. up to whatever. So, and then at that point, you know, you you have. You, you have a scaling business yep. and you have diversity depending on your financial capabilities, how much inventory you can carry, you can scale it as far as you want to go. So, uh, so that's usually the rule of thumb that I apply. So um, tell me uh, a little bit about, uh, you know, we had this conversation and whenever I ask this question, people always laugh. One thing that you wish Amazon would change in their mm. policies for sellers, what do you think that would be? Yeah, well, I have two, and I'm probably not the first person to say this, but um, I, 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 I think Amazon fees have gotten really high. Obviously, Amazon just increased their fees by another 5%. Um, and, I, you know, I, I think that that's a, a really tough one to tackle, but it is, that, it's hard. It makes it hard for sellers to enter, and it, it makes it hard for small sellers to stay. Um, so that, that's the first thing that I'd say. And then the second one, this is very recently speaking to our experience, um, navigating the world of, of compliance documentation is really tough. And I, I think Amazon is probably trying to figure this out on their side too, based on, on our experience. But um, 
if I if I could offer a recommendation or an improvement there, it would be figuring out how to standardize that process so that you know the documents that are going to be required when you launch your listing. Um, and before you even launch, you would have them on hand, right? You, you could show Amazon, yep, we're compliant. We, we understand what's required of our of our category. Um, I think that that process is really messy right now. And, and as a result, I, we've talked throughout this conversation about the flexibility required, but that required some real gymnastics to figure out what is Amazon looking for and how do we get it? Yeah, yeah. So um, so tell us a little bit about Michelle. Uh, who is Michelle? And uh, where, did you, where did you grow up? And where did you learn to ride a bike? And, and, and how does that journey take place from there to becoming an Amazon seller? Yeah. No, for sure. I uh, so I, I grew up on the East Coast. Um, my family moved around a little bit, but I uh, the the first the house that I remember anyway was uh, we lived there from when I was five to about twelve. Um, we lived on three acres of land and had the opportunity to like play in the woods. That that is like my memories of childhood, where the opportunities to just like explore and and be outside and adventure. And obviously, like technology wasn't a thing when when I was a small kid. Um, but that really has shaped my, my career journey in that I, I'm watching an entire generation of kids have a very different experience than I did. Like it, no, parents don't just say like, go outside and have fun and I'll see you in a couple of hours. No, no, it's, no. it's just such a different childhood. And, and I think that that's, that's exactly where we've jumped into the Amazon marketplace is we have launched a product that we get to say to parents, this is giving your kids a little bit of their childhood back. Like that is what you want for them. You want them to ride bikes. You want them to be out in the neighborhood and, and doing sports. And you can't be there every single time, like, especially if you have multiple kids. So um, were you like getting lost every time that yeah, you were playing outside? So <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't think so. We, uh, yeah, no, it was, uh, it, it was, uh, it was so fun. We had like this, this big Creek that uh, flowed into this waterfall. And my memories of childhood are just a lot of roaming outside and, and like being an adventurer. So do you feel that this product that whose idea was this, this product, was it your idea or your, your partner's idea? It was my, it was my co-founder's idea. Where did it come from? You know, he uh, he was working in the e-commerce space, um, and he, honestly, more more of a standard Amazon seller type model where he had multiple products and started selling these kids smartwatches, and just started to realize that there was there was a huge opportunity that parents were looking for this kind of a product, and the quality did not exist that anybody needed. Um, and he had a childhood that was very similar to mine, where you know his early years like very tech free. And then kind of hit adolescence and and he talks about just that experience of all of a sudden having social media and what that did to um his his perception of reality and um i mean all of us are, are kind of in that stage that we're, we're thinking about having kids of our own and and when we think about our childhoods and then the childhoods that we want to be able to give the next generation um th that has been very very shaping in in our just company's story so would it be fair to say subconsciously, like you're trying to facilitate the kind of childhood that, uh, that you experienced that today's kids have with this? Yeah, one? I think there's, there's part of that. I mean, obviously you can never like totally go back in time and nobody wants to be the person that's like, oh, like the good old days, like how it used to be, it was so much better. Cause I don't think that that's true. I think that the future is very bright and, and very promising and offers kids a lot. But I think that there was something really sweet and simple about 
being able to just, you know, go outside without fear and being able to play with your friends and being able to roam a little bit without your parents, like constantly hovering on top of your activities that I think that my co-founder and I feel like we want to give our kids, but I think our customers want to give their kids too. There, there's Absolutely. in our yeah. customers that's saying that that resonates with me. You're right. I, I can't be with my kid all the time and I want them to be safe. So this is kind of a middle ground that, that brings some of that childhood back. Well, I mean, whatever you your desires are, you're not unique. I'm sure there are other people who have the same desires. Is this part of your um, your promotional content? You know, like make your kids free to out play, or are you doing that already? You know, we are doing that. This summer, we're running a campaign called "Take Take Back the Neighborhood," where it it is that idea of what does it look like in the summer to be able to just like take back the neighborhood and think back about the neighborhood as is not being a scary place to let your kids be, but as a place of adventure and fun and and, yeah. and exploration and right like not. I mean, I'm not saying that video games are bad or anything like that, but adding this as an and activity um, where like you just you feel a little bit more free to diversify the way that your kids are spending time. Well, that's great. I mean, this is, uh, I mean, that's exactly what it is. It's these days, especially in big cities, you know, kids are all in buildings and they don't really experience. Yeah. And, and with social media and apps and these phones, you know, they, there is not much interaction. I think that they, it, it does make an impact when yeah. they grow up, become an adult. Of course, now they are less social and everything else. So you're trying to, you're trying to make that a better place yeah, for yeah. everybody uh, that's great so michelle tell us how can people find you and uh, give us your contact information we obviously put this on our website and also on our youtube channel we publish it but give us your contact how people can find you and linkedin and email and website yeah perfect our uh our website is Cosmo Together. Um, although if you just put Cosmo Technologies in Google, we will will come right up. Obviously, the same if you do that on Amazon. Um, our our name on on Facebook is Cosmo Technologies. You can find us there. We have an Instagram account. Um, and then if you want to email us, our email address is support at cosmotogether.com. Great. And you are also on LinkedIn, right? I am on LinkedIn, Michelle Ross. Great. Okay. Well, this was very useful. I mean, your story is is the is is true. You know, Amazon seller starting without realizing what it takes, and then really learn going through the whole learning experience yeah. and building a business. And and of course, your product is a, is a noble product. So uh, you're doing you're doing great, and I'm sure you'll do you'll do perfectly. Thank you, Michelle. And uh, that brings us to uh, another uh, episode uh, end. And uh, I'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Be sure and subscribe, rate, and review our show. And be sure and share an episode with a friend. And thank you so much for being with us today. We'll see you next week here on Amazon Legends. <laughs>